Welcome to Finding Holiness, where we delve into timeless Torah wisdom, revealing the sacred in everyday moments. Join us on a journey to elevate your spirituality and discover holiness in every aspect of life. I'm your host, Rabbi David Kadosh, and together, let's embark on a path of spiritual exploration. I hope you enjoy this next episode. All right, Erev Tov, everyone. It's uh, good to be back. I um, I spent the last few days in the Netherlands, in uh, in Amsterdam. Uh, it was uh, it was a wonderful trip for for many reasons. I'm not going to elaborate now, but uh, for for one, uh, I got to see two synagogues. <clears throat> one of them being the uh, very famous Spanish Portuguese synagogue been around from I want to say the 1600s or 1700s um, it still still uses uh, candles to illuminate the room it uh, they, they only they only open on uh, they only open the big synagogue for the high holidays because it takes two hours just to light the candles in the men's section and another hour in the ladies section so they pray in the winter time. They pray in a smaller room. They call it the winter synagogue. Um, and but this this shul, we, we we purchased tickets to a tour. It was was monstrous, but like so so prestigious in the in the fact that you see names, you see Sephardic names for one, and um, it's it's really what you picture a, a synagogue of four hundred years old to be. The original wood. Um, they had they had their uh, sofas in, right in front of the hechal that the uh, the audio tour we were listening explained that these were the seats for the chatanim of Simchat Torah, and they were they were they were covered so you couldn't see the the real <coughs> material of the sofa, but nevertheless that's where they sat the chatanim. Um, uh, I bring this up because Amsterdam was a city that was not so much. Uh, destroyed by the Germans in World War II. And Hitler uh, chose not to destroy the synagogue because he wanted to keep it as a museum for so that people should know after he wiped out all the Jews, he was going to keep it a museum. In case you want to know what the Jews were about, this is what it was. So he kept it intact. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't destroy it like many other synagogues in Europe. And um, the synagogue that I prayed in on Shabbat was also there in the center of, of town. The, the security guard, who was an Israeli guy, he was just, you know, I guess acting as a shomer, he says, remember the address, because if not, you're not going to find it. Okay. So the address was number 238. Lo and behold, we, we get to 238, and it just looks like a typical, uh, just the face of all the Amsterdam uh, types of homes, which is very squeezed together, like narrow, narrow entrances. And you can't tell. There's no sign that says Bet Knesset. There's nothing there. A very small mezuzah. And uh, then all of a sudden, you go into this door, you hang a left, and it's like the whole picture, like three floors of this home opened up into this, again, really old synagogue, 
that's uh, you know, almost approaching 200 years old in the, in the 1860s or 1870s. That's still running. And every Shabbat they have, uh, they have a, a small minyan, but they're, it's an Ashkenazi shul. And, um, and, and I was told that the reason why that one was not destroyed during World War II is because the Nazis couldn't find it. They couldn't find the shul. It was, it, you look outside, you cannot tell it's a shul. It's, it's just a thing. And then you go inside and all of a sudden you see this thing. It's like, you know, drapery, you know, and you see the years stitched on the drapery. Uh, you know, I, I always elated when I see uh, things like this. And, uh, you know, what, for me at least, it uh, just goes to show you that we're, we're still here. And uh, although the, the community in the Netherlands did take a hit, after the war, or during the war, but uh, there's still 60,000 Jews strong in the, in the Netherlands and a very large Israeli community as well. So um, I, I, there's, a, there's a lot more that I saw, including, uh, of course, the Anne Frank Museum and her story and her, her, um, <clears throat> her actual diary on display. But maybe we'll talk about that another time. I just wanted to share with Takahal those two little anecdotes of seeing, seeing what a Betkin is, especially the Spanish-Portuguese, which was just, it was monstrous, monstrous, and so uh, glorifying to, uh, to see. And it was a Sfaradi Shul. It was a Sfaradi Shul. You know, that they, oh, they had, uh, for a dear friend Avi, they had a room for the Parnasim. Yeah. Uh, dear, yeah, they had an office where the Parnasim, they had multiple Parnasim, where they would meet, like a boardroom just for the Parnasim to discuss you know, you know the the situations of the community, and uh, and and how to whether it was to allocate funds or to it was you know it it was a whole complex. The synagogue was in the middle, and around it were other rooms, offices. One of them was a mikveh. One of them was uh, you know th- things that that was part of it. And uh, if you ever get a chance to go to Amsterdam. Um, I, I don't know if that, I think there was, there was the old mikvah, then there's one that was there that was still in use, I think. The one that was still in use was closed, and we were only able to see the old mikvah through a window. Uh, but I still think there's a mikvah there that they, that they use. Uh, it was a very rainy day that, that day we went to visit, so we couldn't see, like, couldn't spend much time outside. We had to quickly go into the, um, you know, but even downstairs they have this, the, the, they call it the treasure room, where they keep all the old uh, drapery of the Sifre Torah, yeah, but it's not like what we have today. You know, even forget about the the, the round ones that we have. The, even the Ashkenazi ones that you see in the shuls nowadays is is very very basic. If you if you see what they used to dress the Torah with, two hundred years ago, three hundred years ago, I took some pictures. I'll, I'll be glad to show you guys um, if you want afterwards. But uh, anyways. It was a little bit of my experience of uh, of my, my small trip. It was well worth it, Baruch Hashem. Uh, let's learn. Let's learn the halacha. Continuing the laws of lashon hara, klal vav halacha hey. He says, Let's return to the topic. What we wrote in Seif Bet, that even listening to lashon hara without believing it is still a violation of of, of, a, of a mitzvah. Means that one intentionally goes to listen to hear Lashonara. I mean, that's what he's point. I'm going to this conversation because I want to hear what they have to say. But if let's say you're sitting at a table uh, with people that are gathered there, 
who then starts speaking Lashonara, and he's already calculating, he's surmising the fact that if I were to rebuke them, they're not going to listen. Then the law is dependent on the following. If it's possible for him to walk away, or place his fingers in his ear, he's performing a very big mitzvah. Like the Chachamim tell us in Masechet, uh, uh, but if it's impossible for him to slip away, and putting his fingers in his ears is difficult for him. Why? They're going to ridicule him. And it's certain that he cannot use this strategy. At the very least, he should strengthen himself and stand firm. To wage the battle for Hashem against his Yetzirah, so he will not stumble. In the, to, to, in the prohibition of hearing and accepting and In such a situation where he cannot leave the group, he should consider or comply with the three with with the following three conditions. Which will at least save him from violating the Torah prohibition. What are these three conditions? Aleph, Number one, he resolves definitively that he is not going to accept or believe this information, this derogatory information that they're saying about their friends. Bet, he must not feel pleased to hear these forbidden accounts. And Gimel, Gam Yamid Alatzmo, he should control himself, that he does not show the speakers any gesture that indicates that he approves of their words. He should sit still as stone. And if he's able to show them a severe face, like an upset face, that conveys that he disapproves of what they're saying, that are certainly preferable. What situation where these words said that uh, we said a, a person sitting in a, in a group of people does not violate Lashon Hara? That's only that when the guy went to sit on the table, what they were talking about was fine. They were talking about sports, they were talking about baseball, whatever it is, it's okay. And also, the, uh, once he began speaking Lashonara, it was not possible to escape. But if Reuven decides to sit on this table, they already started to talk Lashonara. Or he was able to walk away from them. He's just lazy and doesn't want to do so. Then he violates a prohibition. Or let's say he knows that the people sitting on this table are prone to speak Lashonara based on past experience. Who always have this persistent urge to speak negatively about others, and yet he still goes to sit with them. In that situation, even if he doesn't actually participate in the conversation, or take pleasure, 
He's considered a sinner. Because he had violated the words of the Chachamim. Because the Chachamim instructed us to distance ourselves from hearing improper words. How much more so that he sits down with intent to hear these words. His transgression is unbearably severe. And because of this Avera, he will be inscribed in the books above as a person who is called a wicked person and a habitual speaker of Lashonara. Which, uh, this is in the will of Rabbi Eliezer Gadol, who instructed his son, Hurkanus, this is what he writes in the will, Beni, my son, do not sit among a people, group of people who will speak ill of their fellows, because when their words go above, they're recorded in a book, and all those who stood together, together, are inscribed as a group of Reshaim and Baalei Lashonara. Alken, therefore, Tzarich Adam Leitrachek Me'od Me'od Mechavurara Kazu. One must distance himself greatly from this wicked company so not to transgress these Avedot. Bezat Hashem, next time we will continue.